welcome to Keeping Up with the Chaldeans. Uh, we have Chris Abro here, uh, my co-host, uh, Junior Binden. Deline Gasso here. Hi, everybody. So what's going to separate you from every other player out there? Oh, no, 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 no. We've been doing and so we torched Kimberly's on site for the guests. Hey, everyone. Welcome to uh, Keeping Up with the Chaldeans. Uh, we are here at uh, the new studio. This is our 50th episode, a very special uh, benchmark for us. We get a chance to kind of flip the tables around a little bit and, and since it's our 50th uh, episode and, and it is something special, we wanted to do something extremely special and uh, Junior had the uh, idea and along with Chris to share his courageous story. He's going to uh, uh, lay out some struggles that he went through, he's going to lay out uh, some solutions for some other people that are out there that... Uh, that are going to or have to deal with the same thing. I'm gonna kick it uh, over to Chris Abro. Uh, he's going to uh, give you some insight on what we're gonna cover. He's gonna give you a little information about Junior and then we're gonna roll with the show. All right, sounds good. Um, so a lot of you guys know Junior. Uh, he's this fun, loving, uh, always got a smile on his face, uh, always the guy on the dance floor breaking it down. Winning rap um, battles. Yeah, that, that, that's Junior, so everyone knows him as that guy, but uh, underneath all that, um, you know, Junior has a, has a story to tell, so some of you guys not, might not know the story um, of uh, some of the things that Junior's gone through, so Junior's here on the show, and uh, he's going to give us a little background of who you are and uh, sure. who you, where you came from and, and uh, get into your story. Power, baby. Thanks, guys. Let's go, Jay. Thanks for having me. I'm um, happy to have had both of you do the interview. I've had a long-term relation with both of you in different ways. You've been my very close personal friend for over 20 years of my life. You've been my boy. AT, you know you've always been that older homie, so it's always been good to look up and see someone. to be old, the older homie. <laughs> <laughs> I love You're only a year older than me, so let's, you know you. what I'm saying? So right. we'll, we'll, we'll take you're, it. Back. I'm the younger homie, mm -hmm. you're the older homie. Yeah, there you go. I'm the guy in between. Yeah. So it's it's good to have uh, the ability to be able to speak on this. You know, when um, when stuff happened to me 20 years ago, uh, first I'd like to mention that I'm dedicating this interview uh, to my mother. Uh, today's December 3rd. We lost her 20 years ago today. So we're going to commemorate this episode for her and let it be known. The difference in today and the difference of 20 years ago is... 20 years ago, when something happened, you either had to get the hearsay by a phone call. You had to know who's who and what's what to know what exactly went down. Whereas today, 20 years later, even though social media can have a negative connotation, you still have the positive side of it and can keep up with people that you may have not seen or know what's going on now by it being posted. And as much as you want to look at it, it still can be supportive when you get the outpour of the comments and the likes and all that stuff in these times and these situations. We didn't have that back then. Yeah, it was so, a lot different. It was a lot different. So I'm going to get into um, letting you guys know some of the stuff from day one till now. 
first and foremost, I was uh, born back in 75. Prior to me being born, three months to that, my father was murdered inside of a party store in Detroit. So I never had the chance to even meet him. Mm. Um, you know, it, it sucks, and, and we, that's a whole other topic, but my mom moved on. Uh, we had uh, two siblings and myself at the time. I was my older brother, Omar, and my sister, Marianne. Uh, when my mom remarried a couple years after my father's death, she ended up having uh, three more children. So I've got a younger sister and two younger brothers. Uh, I got Michelle, Angelo, and Andrew. Those are my siblings. Um, with that, you know, being fresh as Chaldeans here in this country, I'm first generation. My mom not only had to experience the death of my father, but she also had to experience having two visually impaired children, my older brother and my younger brother. Both of them have retina pigmentosa, RPG. And what it is, is it's a degenerative uh, condition that will eat away at your healthy cells in your, in your eyes, which then leads to you going blind. You know, when I was younger, I'd be able to do stuff with, with my brothers. It wasn't the way it is today, but these guys have um, overcome a lot themselves. So I got to experience that side before it even got to my side of the situation and understand a handicapped style life. So as time went on, you know, you go through uh, grade school, high school, you know, not paying attention to real life things, how my brothers couldn't go to Catholic schools and I was able to because they were able to support us and not somebody who's visually impaired. Sure. So I didn't really understand it and understand the advantages that I had being fully fledged with physical health and mental health. Well, around 1991, um, I was going to Orchard Lake St. Mary's and my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, at that time, it was something new. There wasn't many Chaldean women that had faced anything like that. Sure. She had to have her breast removed. Um, she went through her chemotherapy and stuff like that. And, and, you know, and at that time, you know, I'll tell you this, in 91, it was different because the focus was so driven on to my mother, which it always should be in any case, a mother is the glue to a household. Mm -hmm. So I ended up starting to fail a little bit in school um, because no direction was really going towards myself. And, and, you know, I was the middle child, so... I'm going both ways, tugging between emotions of my mother and then, you know, now in school being loose and being free without nobody supervising me. So mm -hmm. I started lacking, things started going a little sour and I didn't do as good as I did. And I was disappointing her and I didn't even realize it, how bad it was. So I uh, go on to college, but in between that, because of her situation, our siblings had to inherit a lot of responsibilities, cooking, cleaning. So I enjoy cooking, believe it or not, before the loss of the arm and after the loss of the arm, you know. So this was due to, to your mom being diagnosed, diagnosed, diagnosed with, with breast, uh, cancer. breast cancer. You yep. guys end up taking on a, a much bigger role. Home in responsibilities. Yep. yep. Obviously, my brothers, it was tough. Omar really couldn't because at yeah, that time, because... he was starting to lose his vision a little bit more. By the time he got to 18, it was worsening at that time. Mind you, a lot of people don't know him well enough, but the guy would ride bikes with me from my house on Walnut Orchard Lake all the way down to Lone Pine, and we'd go to CVS together at that time, right? Okay, so at so one point he was able. He to was see. able to see, so it just it, it, it progressed, and, and as it did, it got worse off. Okay. So again, I, I still tell you that I didn't appreciate and respect the fact that I still had my own eyes and my own arms and legs mm -hmm. and everything. So, fast forwarding that, uh, my mom went through chemo, 
lost her hair, lost weight, went through all that stuff, and we had to understand that she's going to recover. You know, this is mom. Look, she's still smiling. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, all the strongest time. She's person in the whole wide world that man, you knew. Man, she was, you know, she, she would be my ass a lot. I'm not going to lie to you mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I was a uh, little what, vigilant. What mom didn't. Yeah, what yeah, mom what didn't. Mom didn't yeah. Yep, yep. So, so uh, I, I had that. I had that, she, you know, and she was very hard on me because of the fact that I was still in her womb when my father was killed. Yeah. So uh, now we get to, um, I'm in college for a few years and, you know, here comes 21 years old and I just, you know, with all the attention with my mom and the way I, things were going, her scare wouldn't allow me to grow up. What I mean by that is at 19, 20 years old, I still had to be home by 11 o'clock, 11.30. By the time I had turned 21, I remember coming home at 11, 45, 12 o'clock at night and she was throwing my clothes out the front door mm -hmm. because she didn't want me to be out. Sure. So, so she was, she was worrisome. <laughs> yeah, well, she was worrisome because she fought, she she saw it as a cruel world, you know? Yeah, her yeah. husband was taken, her kids are visually impaired. You know, the way the world was on her shoulders now. Yeah, we don't realize it. She's just at the, she's looking out for, yep. for, for her children. Yep. Even though they may have not did it in the, in the nicest, softest way, they were meaning the best. She, could, she couldn't take another setback she didn't want nope, if something happened call. to junior yep yeah yep. you know so i went to college for a little bit and i figured by 21 years old this wasn't common for chaldean men or women i decided to up and move and i up and moved and the first day what does was that mean up and move what? okay i'm what sorry good I, I i left the house okay i moved out that's what age at 21 okay which again was not common because our moms always wanted us to be at home as long as they could until we were ready to get of married of course so so let me back you up real quick so uh from high school to to college 21 before you moved out yep. did your mom your mom uh beat cancer she had gone through um chemo she came back around from it and she yeah. did at that time she, and, at that yep. time she beat cancer. Yep, she okay. had beat it she did have her breast removed like you know and today's day and age i'm not very well uh, versed on it but I know now from the women that I do speak to that have it they actually remove both just in case because a lot of times that's it comes the smarter back. move yep yeah. so I, I did this in, in commemoration of her I ended up putting the uh, breast cancer uh, symbol yeah. on my arm it's got her initials it's got the uh, the cross yeah, and the, the cross. Uh, faith yeah. at the end of it um, so what is that the fish the it's faith it's the fish faith? is the faith yep the fish yep, is Christian faith. faith. Okay. Yep. And then the other end has the cross on yep, it. I see that. So it's the rosary wrapped sure around what the, her. What the fish meant. Yep. Yep. That's nice. Yep. It's a it's a form of faith and peace. Okay. Um. So you you ended up moving out. So I ended up moving out. Um. At 21 years old, she wasn't for it. She was pissed as hell because it wasn't common for them to do that. You no. know. She said to me in Calgary. She couldn't make her up her mind. She was kick you out, or she wants to keep you. <laughs> she didn't throwing your clothes out one day. <laughs> that was the thing, you know. Well, tough love, yeah, right? Tough That's love. what they gave Absolutely. us. Was, was tough love, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so um, you know, she she hit me with this sentiment before I walked out. She said to me in Calgary, So what that means is, once you're out the house, there's no coming back. Once you leave, you're done. So I had to make my move and I did it. First day I was with my um, aunt Najiba, God rest her soul. She put me in the first two days, but it was no different than living at home. You know what I'm saying? She was not giving me the key. She was like, knock on the door when you get ready to come home. I was like, I can't do this. So who's Najiba? Um, that's my mom's sister who okay. took me in at first. And did she have? Uh... She had one daughter, Rita. Uh -huh. Yep, she was already married off and gone. So I was just living with her at the time. Wow. Yep, <laughs> yep. So I was just w with her at the time. And a couple of days later, I said, you know, it's not going to be any much different. I'm not really learning my responsibilities to be on my own. Mm -hmm. So I ended up living with a buddy for about a good couple months. Um, 
he drove me crazy. Um, and, and I was can telling... We, can we out this guy? We can, we can. It's fine. He, he'll probably get shits and giggles on it, too. It's Marvin Asker. Okay. I lived with Marvin for a couple... Money! Yeah, money. Rat rat you. Poof. <laughs> they call him Poof these days. But I, I, um, I lived with him for a, a couple months. Um, the guy loves smoking cigarettes, which you think he still does. I just, I couldn't deal with it anymore. It was driving me nuts. Mm -hmm. So my cousin, Pete Raban, got wind of it. And he said, I'm going to talk to my mom and have you come live in with us. So it was him, my older cousin, Kamal. And actually, Keith. Yep, Keith, big Keith. And actually, Keith was 12 years old and in the store when my father passed. He was there when my father was killed. So he's been struggling with it since he was 12 years old. And he actually witnessed wow. it. He witnessed it. He witnessed it, yeah. Yep. yep. At 12 um, years old. At 12 years old. Um, so, so I got to move in with them. Um, their mom, my aunt, so Adraban, God rest her soul, man, that lady went through hell and back. So she understood, you know what I'm saying? Her her kids who loved me so much wanted me in to live with them. Right. And I was always close to all of them. Like my oh, brothers. Did you live on Everett? No. What it was is we lived in West Bloomfield, but we were very few Chaldeans that lived there. So in tradition, you were either in Southfield, Oak mm -hmm. Park, or Seven and Woodward on the weekends to just be around a bunch more Chaldeans and your family, because that's where so everybody did was. did you live with Jason and them? I lived with um, Pete. No, I lived with Auntie Suad, Pete, and Kamal. Oh, this was yep, after they this was at, yep, after, after ever. After yep, Southfield. after ever Southfield. Okay, yep, yeah, after they okay. moved, I ended up living over there with them. Um, I lived with them for a few years. While I was going through this, I started working for a company called PageTel. Mm -hmm. It was one of the hottest trending first pager companies until it yeah, became yeah. in 97 yeah. one of the hottest prepaid cell phone companies in the country were they in uh were they out of like coolidge seven and Woods. i'm sorry seven, seven and southfield, southfield. yep seven on seven and ashton okay. right next to um, the, the <coughs> church who owned that over there. um that was lathe court lathe cascorgas okay uh who owned it and um What's, uh lk doing now he's he's actually um <laughs> like i know him. It, it's it's all right he's actually um <laughs> he's and it's okay yeah. to say it. he owns a dispensary today um okay. that, that's where he's at a state licensed one so that's Congrats. what he's been doing um he took his own little tumble and and and, and i'll get into why because it kind of relates to my life and mm -hmm. all that but i started working for this gentleman it was a great feeling he's related to us from a distance um, when I called him, he knew who my mother was and my brother Omar was. So I uh, went well, ahead and... Well, most people know your mom. Well, my mom tells stories about your mom telling jokes. Not clean ones. Not clean ones. No. Not clean ones. Anytime your mom's name comes up, that's what I always hear. Dirty joke. I always hear that my too. Mom yeah. says that my they always say this, that, though. That, it was, it was in, in good nature, the dirty joke. Oh, like yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah, like yeah, it was... It wasn't. Yeah. No, so... And it's no. true. Like, <laughs> I, I could never amount to the way she would put 200 people in a room and throw down on jokes. Do you know any of that? Can do you remember any of them? I mean, I, I, jokes are hard to even remember. But. I'll tell you one at the end. Okay. I got I got one at the end. She told All me it's pretty so funny. So stay tuned, folks. Yep, yep. So I'll give one at the end. Um, so so we ended up uh, uh, going through um, with, with with like living and I'm sorry. So I'm at Page Tell and then yep. I'm um, living with my cousins yeah. now. Uh, so we're we're getting along very well, and they understood. My aunt so I was pretty close with my father so she always would say to me i see your dad in you so mm -hmm. you know so that always she kept me around because it always gave her reminiscence mm -hmm. um and she loved me yeah, um so. <laughs> so so it was all of us living together i'm working at page tell and in 1997 he started his prepaid company at that time we took it to a whole nother level i was rocking with him riding with him i mean the numbers were just unbelievable and 
he got to the point that Detroit wasn't enough, Michigan wasn't enough. He was able to expand the markets out of state. And that was around 1998. So a year after he launched his services, I said, man, can't do this retail. I don't like this. I don't want to stand behind no counter for 10 hours a day. Mm-hmm. I want to start traveling. He brought me to his home and offered me the opportunity of getting on board with Ohio immediately. Okay. He said, I can give you everything but Toledo because it's part of the Detroit market. You go take an eye. I said, hell yeah, I like this. Let me do it. I got on with a guy um, who I brought on at the time was Rocky Francis. Mm-hmm. He came on. Um, a lot of people know him from the pager days back in the days. And He's oh, a wild guy. Sweetheart you know. of a guy. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool guy. But he was wild and fun, too, you know, and we did a lot together. And <clears throat> Rock had gotten into a little trouble at that time, so he couldn't travel. So I took on the traveling. He maintained the work for, for us back home off of 7 in Southfield and would fire off whatever I need to. Three to four days a week I would travel um, from Cleveland, <clears throat> Ohio, Akron, Cincinnati, Columbus. I would be out there and I would run game for, for those three to four days and sell my heart out until I got back. I was producing the highest volume sales in the company at some point. Just one city alone was giving me about $6 million worth of business a year. Jeez. Wow. My commission off of that was between ten to about twelve to $13,000 a month. So here you are. You're 23 years old coming into this kind of money. Yes. Okay. Not a clue what to do with it, but spend it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that's... That's a, that's a big problem that we as Chaldeans come to is that when we amass so much money, if you don't have, what well, I posted this, if you don't have the literacy to understand financial wealth, it's not the wealth that's the bad part about it. It's your literacy to the wealth that you make. Sure. When I tell you blowing money, I party with the best of them, dressed with the best of them. We'd go to Bernini's in the middle of the day to go pick up six, $700 jackets, pants, and leave, and then we would be at the topless bars spending $800 to $1,200 a night. Cell phone bill alone was eighteen hundred to three thousand at that time a month. My aunt would tell me, "Are you crazy?" Yeah, those were crazy. That was those were those were crazy times, man. Those cell phone bills, yeah, they, they, were, they were insane. Yes. Yeah, the price yes. per minute. You well, you traveled. The there was no roaming either. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. So I had to travel. Yeah. So at, during this time with Page Tell, I was being paid five hundred bucks a week on top of the commission I was making. Okay. I I started making so much commission that I didn't want that control over me. I figured I could knock this all out within about 25 to 35 hours a week anyway, mm-hmm. right? I went to Lathe. I said, cut my payroll off. Consider me your independent contractor now, and let me just do what I got to do. I'll pay for my hotels, my cell phone bills, anything that I have expense, I'll take care of it. He, he agreed upon it. Well, everything was rocking. We are doing well. Um, I keep in touch with my mom. Uh, my sister, Marianne, had been married around uh, 96 uh, to Mike Sarafa. Mm-hmm. Mr. And, Mike Sarafa. Yep, yep, great guy. Good man. And um, in May of uh, 99, they had their first child, Rena, my okay. beautiful niece. And so I would more often than come over when I'd come home to see Rena and my mom. And my mom had go- started some points of chemotherapy at first, okay? This was her first sign. She started taking pills and stuff. And... My God, you guys, when you'd come down, the heartbreaking things you'd see on that kitchen counter, 15 vials sitting in front of you. And it hurts because it's like you feel so weak, not not knowing what those are and what they're really doing to her. So at that time, she, at that time in um, 91, when she had gotten that first cancer and then back in 99, when it came back again. Oh, so yeah, so that you, that's you what I'm telling you. So, so 99. it came back. So I okay. should go back. In, in, in the beginning of 99, 
my mom's cancer returned. Um, she was coughing up a few days in a row. And then when they took her in, um, they put the tube through her back and her fluids came back a few weeks later with cancerous cells in them. Okay. So as kids, and I say kids because even though 23, 24, you're not a kid, you're a grown man. But I say kid because you're her kid. As her kid, you think, mom's got cancer. She already fought it. She beat it. She's going to do it again. So you take a step back and you let her make things happen and she's doing her thing and she's going through her hair losses again and all that stuff. Okay. Usually they say by your eighth year, it's not supposed to return when you've gone through remission right. for so mm-hmm. long. On her eighth year, it came back. Um, in that time, um, she had joy and she had pain. She had joy from Rena being born and having her first granddaughter hmm. to the, the pain of dealing with her cancer. Sure. So I was uh, now traveling already for the company, and when I'd come back into town, I'd work my way to go see her and go see the kid, you know, my, my niece and stuff. And, and um, she just, it wasn't clearing. So um, they just realized that they gave her a break from the chemo for a minute. Okay. And she was it almost felt like okay like maybe she's just she's gonna get better things are gonna get good so i said you know what let me rock this even harder because my point is that i want to hopefully give my mother a home one day Mm -hmm. you know because my older brother he's visually impaired things started becoming harder for him my older sister as a woman she's married she's now has her own family to be taken care of i'm next up i gotta be the guy to be handling stuff and um it ended up being that for some reason um Omar wanted to leave. He was now wanting to be on his own. He was getting fed up. Things were getting tight at home again. Focus was directed elsewhere. Mm-hmm. He said, um, do you care if I move in, if we go get a place together and we, we live together? And I'm still living with my aunt, Saad and Pete and Keith at this time. And I said, you know what? That's fine. Because, you know, auntie, she needs her own room. And Pete, they got to just, you know, I don't want to be their burden anymore. Right. So around February, March, around that time, um, we ended up moving together, had a Strawberry Lane Apartments over on 12 Mile um, Middleville. Okay. And to this day, there's people that will still tell you JB from 203, hmm. JB from Strawberry Lane and all That's that other stuff. Yeah. The reason they said that was because my mom gave me a gift and a curse. She always told me and she always showed me be as humble as you can and give as much as you can without worrying about receiving anything. So my house was a haven house. I opened up a safe place for everybody and anybody to walk through, whether you needed to eat, whether you were laid off from work, whether you were hurting or going, whatever it was, and you just needed to get, whether you wanted to play Super Nintendo or some James Bond with me. Mm-hmm. You were there till three in the morning or sleeping on my couch. I gave that to them. And I, um, for some strange reason, I can't explain why or what, something transpired at Pagetel. I still don't know to this day what happened. I walked in and I was bombarded by Laith and a couple others, his brother and a couple of others that were there and says, I got to let you go. And I stood back for a second. I said, what? So you got to let me go. I said, why? He said, well, you're not doing this and you're coming and going and you're out partying too much. And I said, but that's what I did as an independent contractor, not on your dime anymore. Why would you want to let me go? I'm producing the best for you. Mm-hmm. No, this and that, and you know, Rocky had just gotten off his tether, and I don't know that maybe they looked at it as now we can cut one guy out and do this. And being young at 23, 24 years old, you don't understand contracts as much as you would today. 
because today sure. we've experienced more. Yeah, right? absolutely. So I never knew, let me tie this contract in. Let me sign off on it. Let me do this and all that. And I got booted out. So I'm making 10 to 12 grand a month and these bills were still going to come. Mm-hmm. I was let go <clears throat> and I quickly had to adjust. I sat on a couch for a couple of days, moping about it. I got up and I was like, man, I mean, I'm a valuable person in the industry. A lot of people know me at the time. I mean, the Barishes were at AirPage, you know, the Daddles were at Beeper Express and so forth. And I said, someone's going to pick me up. So I went and tried to get on with them. And I tried, I tried, and it wasn't there. I was like, man, these guys aren't what this guy's doing. I was with this guy to the point, just so the public knows. I helped him with a prepaid program. I got the man inside of multiple 7-Elevens across Midwest. Mm-hmm. Okay, as a Chaldean owner, that was huge for the first accomplishment to deal with a major corporation like that and get your product inside their store. Sure. From that point, <clears throat> it put that man's company on the front cover of Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Okay, And to understand why I was let go, it just boggled me because I was part of that to help it come. But what it took me to was experience other people and say, damn, these guys' companies are not going to be what I just was a part of. I worked my way to find a person who was now an independent contractor. That independent contractor was still working with PageTel. And I said, hey, I have a lot of contacts. I have a strong network. Can you get me on with you? He said, you know, sure. Um, I give that man credit to this day. Sahar Dado. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys may know him. Maher Dado's brother. Sahar used to be a singer back in the days. And Sahar took on and said, you know, I have Indianapolis. Try that out in Indiana. Give it a shot there in Fort Wayne. I said, you know what? Okay, it's part of the Midwest. Let me do it. I tried it, and about two weeks into it, went sour. I was like, this is not where I want to be. This is nothing like home, nothing like Cleveland, nothing like any others. Came back. I said, can you give me a different opportunity? This is just not where I like it, but I like being with you. Sure. He said, what do you think about St. Louis, Missouri? I said, never been there, but I don't mind giving it a chance. So I ended up flying out there. At this time, I had grown so close with my cousin, Pete Raban, that he was working at Mario Max, and he didn't really care for it anymore, apprenticing at that time, that he's like, you know, can I ride with you? Because it seems like that's the new thing that's happened. I said, of course. Come with me, try out these cities, see if you like it. He came with me to St. Louis. We dug it right away. I popped off some major numbers, 30,000 plus mm-hmm. right away. It started rocking. Sales went to 60. And here I am back on the grind again. Back on your feet again. Yep, back on my feet, you know, to, to the point of like I'm making money, you know, because listen, when you go from 10 to 12 grand a month back down to 1500 to $2,500 a month, yeah. that's a major adjustment. Just my cell phone bill was that sure. alone. Absolutely. So I had to make quick adjustments. We got an extended stay out there, which is extended stay, the hotel that allows you to stay weeks to months at a time. And about, uh, now this is September, so October, we're loving it. Things were rocking now. And um, my mom's cancer wasn't really going away. It it was lingering. She wasn't getting what she was before where she recovered. So they were still back and forth through trials and other testing and stuff on her. In October, I ended up coming back over here and um, I discussed it with the siblings. I'm moving, mm-hmm. you know, I'm done. I, I'm not traveling, I'm not gonna go back and forth with right. this, I'm just gonna go ahead and get myself in. And I'll be in St. Louis and I'll come out here since it's only an hour flight, weekends, couple times a month. Mm-hmm. My brother was supportive of it, my older brother. My younger ones were young at the time. I mean, they were still in high school. Yeah. Um, and, and Omar had to find his way to go move with a friend of his because now I'm able to get out of this apartment and now he's now going to go do his thing. And it was great to know that he was supported by a friend and welcome him in and get that going. Who was that? Um, 
uh, Angelo Boji. Oh boy. Yep. When things were good in his life. Yeah. Okay. Angelo's good guy. Yep. He's a good guy. Wasn't, Had some mishaps. Yep. Guys, yeah, yeah. Yep. Some mishaps in his life. And He'll be back. Yep. In like yep. twenty yep. years. Yep. 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 So. So my, my brother, he, he accepted my brother in, and he, they were friends because they used to have their band, Elna Jume, at that time doing music. So he mm -hmm. accepted him in, so he did that. So I knew that I had my now my way out. Pete explained it to his mom and everybody at that time. Listen, I'm going to do it. We'll be back a couple years. Paige Tell knew about it, not directly, but through Sire, that we were going to be the ones. There was no regrets about it. They knew they were going to get their star stunner out there. Mm -hmm. So I ended up... Coming back October, made that decision, went back to St. Louis. We found an apartment. Everything was good. We're ready to rock and roll. Moving it now to the um, week of November 10th. Okay. Um, November 10th, 99. Uh, we were prepared for someone to drive a truck from here in Michigan and drive it to St. Louis. Help us get whatever we need to get from there in. Um, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. I apologize go back is the person we were supposed to fly in load the truck up and the person was going to drive it out and meet us back in st louis for us to unload mm -hmm. okay all of, all of our furniture and belongings yeah. from here okay so this is monday we're locked and loaded we're good my cousin neil has got us um um ready to go for pick us up from the airport and all that my cousin neil which is pete's older brother had, was one of my strongest supporters and i'll tell you how after he had everything prepared for us to get in. He went and boxed things for us to help us out ahead of time. He went to my place. That's, that's just, mm -hmm. that's one of the most humble guys you'll ever, you would have ever met. God and, rest his soul. Yep. Yeah. So Wednesday comes, we had a phone call. Guy Joe says, hey, I re didn't recall, but it's my sister's wedding this weekend. Hi, you don't remember? It's your sister's <laughs> wedding the weekend. You're supposed to come drive with Sister's wedding. You know, so it's like, holy cow. So now we're scrambling. He can't drive. We've already got the um, apartment locked. We've already got the flights in an order and everything. So I just um, said, Pete, we just let's just go do it ourselves, man. I don't have time to ask nobody anymore. Let's just catch the flight do what we got to do. So Wednesday night comes along. We call Neil and said, listen, Thursday, can you book us a truck, a U-Haul truck? And uh, we're going to go ahead and just get the flight in and fly in um, Friday morning and get into what we got to do, hit the ground running. And then... It's kind of, you know, they say the, uh, the, the, the law of attraction. Yeah. Yeah. When the first thing happened, multiple things happened. It was a domino effect. Yeah. Huge. It went from that to Thursday night, one thir uh, it's Thursday going into Friday, Friday morning around 1.30 a.m. I get a phone call from my brother. He's in, he's in frantic mode. I said, what's, what's wrong? It's Omar. He said, man, he said, uh, the door was uh, busted in. I was able to get in here. I said, what's going on? He said, the pipe broke on the dishwasher. When I did the dishes, it leaked so much into the complex underneath us. This is that Strawberry Lane. That Strawberry Lane. Somebody came and kicked the door. It's the fire department the fire had to come in and bust Jeez. the door down, get the water off and all that. And, you know, he's blind. He doesn't know what's going on or the severity of it. He yeah. just knows he's walking on wet carpet and yeah, going yeah. to his room and stuff. And all of our boxes were, for my stuff was laid in that living room. Wow. So some of it was wet and all that, but I didn't know that until I got home. So I said, listen, just do what you got to do. You know, get to Mary Ann's or somehow I'll get them to help you till I get there. I'll be there in the morning. I'll be there about like noon. So that was the second call that shook us a little bit. Like, damn. We get in Friday. Friday was okay. Go with the fam. Go hang out. Go see friends. Go see everybody. Go get the rest of the stuff rocking. Saturday morning, and I didn't say this, so I want to tell you. Saturday morning was one week into my mother already going into her next round of radiation. Okay? She had already started that while I was in St. Louis preparing to get back over here. Okay. 
radiation, chemo, all that, it's basically you're pushing poison through the body to yeah. try to eliminate anything that's in the body. Mm-hmm. This was the most strongest one that you can run with because whatever it was was so bad that it was starting to take toll on her. So I said, Saturday, let me just go visit her. And I went to go visit her, and a couple of the women were there. My, my aunt and my other aunt were there. And um, I said to her, she said, you know, and she said to me in Caledonia, she said, Bobby Kazi Zadok, Detroit. And that was basically her saying, don't leave. You can make enough money here. There's no need for you to get out of here. And I said, Mom, don't worry about it. I'm going to rock it. I'm going to do so good. I did so great out here that I'm going to kill it over there. You know, don't worry. I'll be back. Two years, I promised her. Two years. Mm-hmm. In her mind, it was the same mom from 24 years ago. I don't want shit to go wrong. I don't want to get that phone call. So I promised her things would be good. So we left out of there, kissed her goodbye, and I came home, and I got everything ready, reboxed, because everything that got wet needed to get reboxed because it was tearing from the bottom. Mm -hmm. So Neil was there again. Mind you, just for the viewers to know, Neil had already gone through cancer twice at this point in time and beat it. He had already gone the second time through it, and he would still put all effort and whatever it could be to help myself and Pete out. He loved the two of us completely. He's yeah. a boss, man. So we get in Saturday. We help clean everything, get it all in order, box everything up and this and that. And we had to leave Sunday evening because it was a very, very important game for Pete <laughs> at the time. Saturday was cool. We did what we did. Here comes Sunday morning. I got up very bright and early because... Anthony and Pete's team were 8-0, and I believe, that season. Yeah. Oh, this is for us. This is for CFL, okay. which is the Chaldean Football League, uh-huh. and they used to play it at Harrison High School. So I lived on 12 in Middle Belt, so I was able to quickly right around the corner, right yeah. the corner and come there. <clears throat> and I was able to watch the guys. And I was pumped because I was like, man, AT's about to win the championship. Pete's, <laughs> Pete's going crazy. So like his career this year, like he's just rocking it, and these guys are about to win. A few miscues on their team, cost them the game. I believe they could have won, had a few changes made, and I'm sure you know. So, so during these championship games, usually hundreds of people show up, right, yes. to watch. Correct. Nobody showed up because that's what kind of favorite we were to win that game. Yep. Mother Nature decided she wanted to play too, so she was blow. There was probably 30 mile an hour winds that day. Yep. We were a passing team. Every pass Roy threw, it just wagged in the wind. So as you were talking about a domino effect, my inclination at halftime or my coach's decision was supposed to be to pull Roy, a throwing quarterback, and put Pete in who could throw but was a running quarterback. And we would have won that game. You guys would have. Pete would have celebrated with us, and you guys would not have left until the next day. Probably. Just, just the domino effect yep. thing of, of, of life and how, and how everything's a split second. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So from from that point, it even more of it came on. Yeah. So by the time, you know, he was pissed as hell oh, because, yeah. like, you know, and I'm sure you guys all were because you had the greatest season on that one. Mm-hmm. It was perfect season. He goes back. He goes. He's um, living with Neil at this time. Um, you know, just because he had he had moved as well, because his mom made a move to San. Uh, no, actually, she didn't move to San Diego yet. But Neil and Pete were together, and he was Neil. Neil was helping Pete load everything too as well, and got it ready. So while they were doing that, I did the final touches, went in to go see my brothers and hang out with them a little bit more too, and 
that was really it at that point in time. And about 1, one thirty, I ended up going to eat at Honey Tree. Um, used to be on 14 Mile and Orchard over yep, by yep. Uh, where Marvelous Marvin's and all that is over there. Used yep, to, Tally yeah. Hall. Yep, tally, yeah. old Tally Hall. So we went to go eat there about 1.30, and it was myself, Pete Rabon, Jason Garmo, um, uh, Renee Situ, Lydia Boji at that time, and uh, Marie Gabriel at that time. And we all were good friends. Renee ran a little bit late. She was running about 45 minutes late, and she just ended up popping up finally to come eat with us and hung out. And I never knew why. She said, I'm sorry, I was running late and whatever. And she, um, she was a very close friend of mine. She still is. We're good friends. And... Um, she, uh, we ended up finishing at about 1.30. We left. We went to go back to the houses to load um, stuff into the truck while I was sitting outside of Neil's because his was the, Pete's was the final stuff. So about 2, 2.30, started looking for the keys for the truck. They were nowhere to be found. I started going frantic. I said, shit. So, so mind you, again, here's another. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I'm now, we're supposed to leave at 2, 2.30. And I'm scrambling, going back to Strawberry Lane, going to Neil's, looking for everything, everywhere, not thinking anything. It took me until 6.30, 7 o'clock at night to remember we were at Honey Tree eating. Because I didn't think I would have left it there. Right. I called up, and um, the owner's son, Robert, picked up. I didn't know him well at that time. And I said, hey, Rob. Um, you know, he said, it's Robert. I said, uh, by any chance, did somebody leave a uh, U-Haul truck, rider truck? Was Did anybody leave a tr- uh, the, the keys over there? He said, yeah, actually, they did. They're, they're sitting over here. It's on one big keychain. I said, shit, man. I said, okay. Well, I'm coming to pick it up. I leave. Pete, at that time, you know, we really couldn't do it off of these cell phones. And there was no Garmin at this time. Yeah. You were using MapQuest online. And then you were getting directions, printing, it, printing yeah, it, out. it out. So Pete yeah. was doing that while I was rushing to go get the key, came back, and finally, it's now about 7.45, 8 o'clock, we're ready to roll. So we're already delayed by about five hours right now at this time, a little over five hours. Mm-hmm. And um, so we get on the road, and, um, you know, I was, uh, I was, um, you know, it's okay for me to mention this, because I, I, people are well aware of it these days, and maybe you shouldn't. I, I, no, <laughs> I smoked cannabis a lot when I was younger. Yeah, I was sober as can be at that time. Oh, there you go. There was nothing in my system. None of that was even in thought at the time. And I got on the road. Before I got on the road, and I'll say this so you guys understand why and what. One of my friends gave me. A little bag to take with me to celebrate mm-hmm. when I got back over there. Okay. Because I knew over there I would never run into that stuff because I didn't know people to go for that. Sure. So I was perfect. I was cleaning my life around. So we get on the road and we're about four hours into it. We're in this box truck, 24 footer. Everything's loaded and um, it's uh, about 12 o'clock at night. And I pulled over to the gas. About 11:45 midnight. I get into the gas station and I uh, said, "Pete, let's just get some gas, stretch our legs out, and." So you got about a, how long? It's an eight-hour drive to St. Louis. Okay. So say nine by truck because you're sl- you can't go as fast mm-hmm. as you want sure. to. So I stopped at about um, closer to midnight at the gas station. I was already an hour outside of Chicago because the way you cut through, you don't go back up north to get to Chicago. You stay down south of it because you're going to cut right back down to get to St. Louis. So you're already on the road for a few hours. For yep, about, two about a good hours. four hours now. Four, okay. Yep, about a good four right now we're in. And um, I did this tour for about three years with page Tal prior to this i traveled all through midwest didn't give it you guys i would get up at eight o'clock in the morning leave southfield party with these guys until six in the morning and head back to 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 southfield for home all on 
no sleep. Yeah. You know, it was just because I had you know, energy to do something. So we stopped and we got to the gas station. And when we got there, it was, um, let's fill up gas. But, hey, there's a Taco Bell. Why don't we get something to eat while we're here? Because we got another, and I looked, probably another four, four and a half hours before we go in. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do it. We ate. Mind you, I never did this when I traveled. I never ate because, you know, you get fit, you get heavy. Fatigue. Yep. I get to um, uh, the car, and we pulled to the side of the gas station, and I said to him, I looked over, and I said, you know, want to rest here? He's like, man, it's uncomfortable because there's no reclining. There's no mm-hmm. anything. You're firm right, standing right. up. I said, then do this. You sleep for an hour. He was in the passenger. You, you sleep for an hour, and we switch. I'll wake you up. I'll pull over, and we'll switch up so that way you can take on the ride for it as well. He's like, that's fine. That, that'll that work. I took my shoes off, sat back in my uh, socks and pants, and had my long sleeve shirt on. I don't care for coats. I just get warm quickly, so I took it off, and I got on the road. Um, it's about midnight now. We get on, and... Um, we're on uh, one freeway, and I'm gunning it, doing every bit of 70 miles, 75 miles an hour. That's the max is what the truck is going. And it's not like you have MP3 players or stuff that you can listen to these days. You're scrambling from station to station because you're right. crossing city to city. Yeah, and you're in yeah. a U-Haul. Yeah, that's it. I'm in a U-Haul. No, zero yeah. comfort, zero right, yeah. anything at all. And um, literally it took 15 minutes after leaving that gas station. I just had both hands on the wheel. I just passed out and drove directly into the median at about 75 miles an hour. Um, as soon as I hit that median, the, the, the quick impact woke me up. But I mean, when you're going through this and you wake up from that shock, you're not waking with a clear head like, oh yes. shit, I'm in an accident right, right now. Yeah. My first intuition was grab the steering wheel because when I hit it, the truck hit it and went this way for a second, like on an angle. Because of the impact, I started riding the guardrail and the wall. That I grabbed the steering wheel thinking if I ripped the wheel back down quick enough, that it would let me just land it back down right. like the movies. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't the movies. It's this, actually the other way. Yeah. It's this way to yeah. come back down. To, to, well, well I was on this way. It's, you were heading. I, naturally, you'd think. I, would, yeah. I tried ripping this way. Well, when I had my hand on the wheel... Um, I didn't realize this at the time until later, obviously, until I see everything. But um, when I hit that wall, because you have extended mirrors that are out on these trucks, that first impact shattered the window in. Mm-hmm. So it smashed it in. When I had my hand on the wheel and tried to do that, the airbag opened up. When the airbag opens up, it blows you back for a second. Well, yeah. my arms blew wide back this way. Left arm went out the window. When the arm went out the window, it was the guardrail or something that was there that just completely ripped it off. So it was already gone before I was even done tumbling the truck. So as it finished, it rode it this way. So it was it was not. It wasn't severed where it was. You see it hanging. It didn't get thrown off. It was cut completely right off. It was gone. It was a complete tear. Was in the street. Gone in the street. Already out the window. Your arm was gone. Gone. Wow. So what it did was. When it blew me like this, and my arm was out the left window, whatever it was that I was riding at that point came in and just took it with yeah. it. So it just ripped it. So it was never a clean cut from the start. Mm-hmm. It finished tumbling. I landed on my side of the truck this way. So my wheels are facing the other side of the freeway, and the top of the truck is facing the freeway. So now I'm just looking at this vertical window. Hmm. Well, peace with me at this time. 
and he was sleeping this way. So by the time that now, I finished Pete's talking, your little cousin, right? No, like, my older. I was older. I, I, I'm the little cousin to oh, them. Oh, okay, yep. okay. I'm the little go wide to all these guys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. so he's knocked out for a second when he was sleeping. So when he didn't even know what happened. So when the truck went this way and came back, and the way I can tell all this to you is by the outcome of everything. Mm -hmm. His face was all black and blue here. He hit the, he hit the door so hard, yeah. he blacked out. He ended up turning over and he landed on the dash of the truck. Um, that's when shit hit the fan, that when it stopped tumbling, I knew how bad things were because the whole cabin was just rocked to hell. Mm -hmm. I went to go look for the cell phone. At that time, it was the Nextel i1000 flip phone. So I looked at it, it was shattered. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even make a call. I'm trying to dial 911 out. Can't do it. The, the red light was on it, so I couldn't make a call. I, I'm, like, looking at him right now. I'm like, holy shit, is, is this guy dead? Like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Mind you, I don't even know about this at this time. Right. I leaned over to go pick him up, and I said, God damn it. And I looked over, and I said, oh, shit. My long sleeve shirt wasn't long sleeve anymore. Wow. Okay. It was about this level here. Just sitting there, and that's all I had. And I realized, and I said in my head, excuse my language, I said, oh, fuck, I lost my arm. So as I bent over to go get him, praying to God that nothing has happened to him, even in my state of mind, I was more worried about him that I lifted my hand, I put my hand under his head to see if he was okay. Well, unknowingly, my hand was over his head and was dripping blood, blood on him. Over him. Yeah. So the back of my hand now has got blood all over. So now I'm thinking, oh, shit, I just killed this guy. So being frantic, I slapped his face to wake him up. I didn't know any better. Yeah, sure. that was actually the right, right thing to do, I think. He jumped up for a quick second. When I tell you probably about 10 seconds quickly went and he was out, he said, what the hell happened to you? Who hit you with a watermelon? And he was out. And I had no clue what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, shit, and I'm looking above me. And here's the driver's door. I'm standing on the passenger door at the time, trying to get this guy to get up. And I'm saying, how the hell are we going to get out this damn thing? Screw it. Barefoot with just socks on, I just busted out that front windshield. And I said, you know, there's going to be only one way out. Threw it on my hip. I wrapped my arm around his chest. Went forward with the shoulder because it was no use and dragged him out this way until wow. I securely put him down on the side of the road. Well, because at that time, it's not what today's day and age is. You get found with cannabis, they're going to tell you it's your fault. Mm -hmm. You were using an illicit drug at that time. I had the conscience clear enough to walk across the freeway and throw that bag my friend gave, gave to me over that freeway into a ravine. Came into the middle of the freeway, stood there, and like I told you guys, it was almost like a scene out of Night of the Zombies. You got a guy that's bleeding in his face. You got a guy that arm's gone. I'm dripping blood all over the freeway. You got another Four guy. in the morning. It's not, no, it's actually now about 1230 at night. And mind you, it's not just that, that it's 1230 at night. I'm like this in 30-degree weather. It's mid-November, okay? So I'm waving for help. One truck goes by. And one car goes by. Next car goes by. Finally, it's a um, semi-truck semi driver. He squatted. Everything I can tell you right now is still lingering in my head. The sounds, everything. He screeched and halted to a stop, and he came running over with his cell phone. He called 911, and he said, uh, 
you know, you need to get somebody out here as soon as possible. You got a guy who's lost his arm and he's bleeding all over the place. So we walked over to Pete. He's looking at him. Pete has he he he's unclear of what he's still he's a little bit up right now, but he's foggy as hell. The guy's asking him questions and he's not even responding really to him. So the engine was still running. I had to run back in, turn the damn engine off just in case it would have blown. You don't want nothing to happen. Mm-hmm. Ran to that one shield, kicked it off, threw the key down. Came back to him, and uh, finally a state trooper pulled up. When the state trooper pulled up, at that time, I've asked a lot of officers in the past 20 years, many didn't hold tourniquets on them when, when they got to you. A lot of first aid kit was there, but not the tourniquet. He didn't have one on him. Tourniquet is what wraps and stops the bleeding. Okay. Mm-hmm. He just took a blanket over my shoulder, and he said, son, it's better if you sit down for a second. And uh, I looked him dead in the eye, and I said, I'm not going out like this. So there was three things running through my head at that time. One was, um, is, is my cousin Helen going to be pissed that I just did this? She was a sister to me, and uh, Pete's like my brother. So I'm thinking, shit, I just heard this guy. Two, I was thinking, how am I going to be in life right now? I just lost this right now. I can't die right now. It's not the way I'm going to go. And three, I said, you can't go this way because that's not how you left your mom's promise. And that's what I was worried about. I said, mm-hmm. hope to God nobody calls and tells her a damn thing. Right. So uh, it's now about 1230, 1235 at night. And um, they gave me the ambulance. First one arrives. And I still didn't know the severity of it. They tear my shirt off. They cut it open. And that's when I looked over. And I was like shook from hell because my bicep was still there. My tendons were there, but my arm was still gone up to here. So it was such a bad cut that the best way I can explain it to you is take a crab leg, crack it in half, and you pull that crab leg off. Oh, wow. And the inside's there, but your outer is gone. That's what, what happened it's because of the tear versus, you know, full cut. And I kept saying to them, uh, you know, stop the pain, stop the pain. And she said, I'm sorry, we can't. And then I was looking and I said, man, I might not make it. So Pete's at the end of the um, cabin of the ambulance sitting there. And I still see him in my head. And he was in a fetal position. And I said to him, Pete, take care of Omar just in case something happens. And he said, why? And when he turned around, he looked. He shrieked, and mind you, I had already told him this three times, I lost my arm, I lost my arm, I got into an accident. He just wasn't coherent to it. That when he turned around, he yelled at the top of his lungs, oh my God. And then he just shrieked, and the lady said, get him out of here. I didn't know what that shriek was at this time, why he did that. I was just still in shock. So they finally put the tourniquet on, and they said they can't give me nothing for pain because if they did at that time, they wouldn't be able to tell any other parts that are broken in my body mm, sure. or anything that could be happening along with it. Right. Sense. I get to the first hospital, Morris Township Hospital, and uh, I arrive. It's probably now closer to one. Doctor gets in, and he starts talking to me and this and that, and I didn't care about my arm. I just kept looking at him and said to him, what happened to my cousin? He says, we're not sure yet. We're not sure yet. I said, okay. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, damn, not only did this happen, but, like, how could, you know, how could you do that to him? 
I take responsibility for what I do to others, but never to myself. And that's where my conscience was at the time. So I said, can you give me something now? He said, I still can't. He said, listen, we found your arm. He was, it was on the side of the road. We've got it in the icebox. We're going to have to fly you right now immediately to downtown Loyola, which is in Chicago. And I said, all right, do whatever you got to do. And I said, listen, if you got to call anybody, don't call my mother. Figure whoever Pete tells you, call that person. He said, no problem. So I had to quickly sign for blood transfusion because I was down to only a few pints of blood at this time in my life. And so they quickly did that. I had to go through quick transfusions. On the way there, they were, you know, giving me what I needed. I finally, probably around two something right now, and I'm in the helicopter with Pete now finally for the first time since we got into the accident. His feet are here, his head's up there, and I'm here and we're both, and I see him locked in a little tighter than I was and I wasn't understanding why. And I said, what happened to you? He said, uh, something with my neck. They're not sure. He said, but they got me in a brace. And I said to him, but can you feel your feet? He said, yes, I can. That gave me relief. As long as he could feel his toes, I knew that he wasn't going to be paralyzed. Right. Little did I know that I could have caused it. And that's why they say don't touch people when they get into these accidents because you could make something more severe. But luckily, God gave me the, the ability to not do that to him. So he said one thing, and then the choppers kicked off. He said, why didn't you wake me up to get me to drive? <laughs> what do you answer? Yeah. I was tired and just fell asleep. At that point, the propellers kicked in. There was no more conversation. He couldn't hear me. I couldn't hear him. We get to Loyola, and uh, now we're there. And while we're in Loyola, um, they wouldn't put us in the same room. I went to ICU. He was taken to and we're in separate floors. It's now closer to 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. Finally, the doctor comes in and he says to me in these words, I'm sorry, we can't save your arm. It went out the window, but what happened was it hit between the truck and the wall and it was mangled so bad that we can't attach it. I said, that's all I needed to hear. Put me to sleep now. At that time, I was preparing for surgery, so I had a little bit more time. He said, that's coming soon. About half hour in, they got me into the surgery table, and he said to me, you're going to be okay. Soon as I seen that needle go through the IV, I knew it was my time to sleep. Passed out. I didn't wake up till about 11 o'clock the next day. It was probably about 4.30 before the first surgery kicked in. And um, I woke up because my aunt opened the door. My aunt saw I one I lived with and she uh, she peeked her head around the curtain and she held her hand over her mouth because she didn't want to show me the emotions she walked back out after saying a word to me and about 15 minutes later my brother Omar and Helen walked in and Omar being blind he didn't really get to see how bad it was at that time so Helen walked over to the side of the bed and she said, you doing okay, JB? I said, yeah. I said, my first words were to her, what happened to Pete? Tell me, Pete, what happened to Pete? And she said, well, he fractured his C6, which is what, what attaches you from becoming paralyzed. Wow. 
and she said he's going to be in a brace for a while. She said, but don't worry about him. Worry about you. I said, I got you. She walked over. She lifted my blanket, and I looked over with her, and my arm was wrapped up in cloth up to this point. And that's when shit hit really shit really hit the fan at that time. And I realized I'm never going to get this back. So it's now new life. But I got a second one. So I didn't even have time to even think about it because I had two people to worry about. My cousin Pete and my mom back home, right? By the time 2, 3 o'clock came around, that lobby was full of everybody. My friends, my family, they all came out to see what was going on. And when that happened, I started becoming overwhelmed. And it was my first time experiencing an anxiety or panic attack. So the nurse asked everybody to leave. They got them out. It's probably around like 5, 6 o'clock now. I put my eyes down. I closed my eyes for a minute because I'm still from sedated a little bit from all the anesthesia that they gave me during that. So I get up and um, around now around like 12, 1230 at night. And it was like the only time I really had any sleep. That's just because of the, what they were giving me. And I was woken by um, two nurses that came in and said, we got to give you a bath. We got to clean you up from some of the stuff that you have on you. Because my face still had like all the scraps and stuff in there. There was so much glass on my face that had hidden parts of it. I pulled out glass out of my cheek six months later. Oh, wow. You know, because it felt like it was a pimple and I'm rubbing it. It kept hurting. Wow. And I went there with a tweezer and pulled it. And it was a little piece, piece of, of the, the glass coming from my cheek. Um as they were giving me this sponge bath and cleaning me up, I'll tell you two things. They started cleaning my feet, and I just was, ah, I kept twitching. I was hurting, and I didn't realize why. But when I kicked out that windshield, there was a lot of glass in my feet. They had to go in and pick out the glass from my feet, clean all that up, and get me in order for that. I'll tell you something that hurt me very bad um, with the experience of these hospitals and these medics. I had uh, my bag returned to me. The next day with all my personal belongings to be in my room it was my my uh, wallet i even had a speeding ticket in my pocket i was taking care of and whatever and i had three hundred dollars in my pocket and they stole it it's 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 like sad you know what i'm saying to say like you know wow. all that i went through right now you couldn't even return my money that was there it's not yeah. like you know so i did you know i just consciously knowing like whatever but tuesday comes along we have half the family here in Chicago and half the family in Michigan dealing with my mom. Okay. So we're in two separate places dealing with two dilemmas right now. And she has no idea that she this has happened. Everyone was informed to keep quiet and and they did. I uh, sp specifically asked that one wish is to not say nothing to her and that I would recover enough that in six months to a year I would come visit her. I would play it that I was so busy in St. Louis right. that, okay. that, that, that I, I would get to her when she recovered from her cancer to give her her fair chance at recovery. Right. So um, through the week of November 15th, I had people coming, going. The one who stayed, I leave me credit to my cousin Reno Petros. The guy never flew in his life. He took, he took that flight to come to me to see me and my brother said that on the way home 
because they took the flight back together. He said, as strong as my brother Omar is, he never felt how strong Reno could be holding on as during takeoff <laughs> because he was so scared. scared. But I give that kid credit for coming at that time and making yeah. me the first flight out to see me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I just kept reading, don't say nothing back. But I kept trying to call back home to talk to her. Yeah. Just to kind of let her hear my voice, to let her know. Things are good. I'm in St. Louis feeding her lies. But I never How got a chance. How long was your recovery? Um, before you went? It was only a few weeks, though, right? Before uh, before you had to go home. Well, November 15th, it happened. Neil stayed with me the whole week. God rest his soul. That yeah, man stayed with me the whole week. He stayed by my side. And the reason he did that, he knew what they need to give me and not give me. He went through so much of this that, mm-hmm. you guys, those pain pills they give you, they mess your head up. Whether you're going through what I went through or whether you're just taking them on a day just for recreational. Yeah. Those things affect your mind. That by the Thursday in on that week, I grabbed my IV when he was sleeping because they were coming in to give me another. I chased the nurse down the hall and cussed them every name of the book you can imagine because I was losing my mind. Because I was seeing things at about 1 o'clock in the morning, I would see things on the wall. I wasn't sleeping. They were trying everything in their power to pull me to sleep. I couldn't. I was They're having panic, yeah. panic and anxiety. Jeez. Every time my eyes would close, I would jump up in a frantic, you know, because you're thinking, shit. I ate nothing during the week. I had half a cheeseburger that Jason Abro got me. Jason had come to visit me too, him and Simon Savaya. They were with me. They went and bought me clothes. Him and Dennis and all these guys bought me clothes from, from the Nike store just to, you know, to help me change And when I was there. And, I had the support. That's what Chaldeans were doing for me. They were giving me the support that I needed. Mm -hmm. But my concern was never me. It was everything around me but me that by the time the week ended, they weren't letting me call my mom and talk to her. And I had a bad gut feeling. Something was just going wrong. Because now they're trying to protect you from... Not knowing what's really happening. Right, right. Nobody was telling me. So it happened November 15th on that Monday morning. The following Monday, the nurse comes in, and I did have a second surgery during that week. They had to reopen everything back up, clean it all back up because they didn't want gangrene to build up. Gangrene mm-hmm. is where the infection can happen and spread and kill you. So because of all the stuff that happened, and it wasn't a clean tear, they went in, cleaned it. So I was already in my second one. Monday came along. I said, man, I can't deal with this shit no more. I picked up the phone. I said, Neil, the nurse is going to be here in about 15, 20 minutes. I'm telling her I'm checking out. See what the flights you can do for me. I don't want to be here no more. He goes, are you sure? And I said, I couldn't be more positive, buddy. I said, my mom, something's wrong. Yeah. Nurse walked in, and I looked at her, and I said to her, please give me um, the paperwork to check out. I'm not doing rehab or anything right now. Whatever you're trying to do, I got to go. <laughs> she goes, Mr. Benno, she's like, you went through two surgeries? I said, ma'am, listen. I got to go. I got to go. <laughs> she's like... Okay, she's like, it's going to take about an hour to get your checkout. They can't hold you against your will. Right, right, of course. So I, she said, I'll get you an hour, but they recommend as much as they can keep you there, right? Yeah. yeah. And I went ahead, had Neil get the flight. He came to pick, he came to pick me up. I got on that flight home. It was hell because you're dealing with the pain and you're dealing with turbulence and all this and I haven't experienced it yet to be in the outside world. Yeah. You know, you're getting the stairs, the jeers, people looking at you. You're a yeah. guy with missing arm now. Yeah. And my face was still like cut up. So then um, we flew back home and I said, man, I said, I got to hurry up and get to the hospital. And they said, no, you don't. They said, you need to just rest for a few days and then we'll get you to the hospital and you can go see mom. 
said, sure. It was fine. I said, listen, I'll play it right. I'll do it so, like, I'll hide it. I'll pretend whatever. I'll... He said, just just wait, just wait a week. Let's just, just ride it. She's going to be out. And I'm thinking in my head, you know what? Maybe they're all right. Mom's a fighter. She's already been through hell and back, and she can fight. So it was um, that week I just was overwhelmed with friends and people that wanted to see me. So I thought it was in my good interest to go to Outback Steakhouse and have everybody that I needed to be around there be there. Well, nobody really talked or knew what understood what panic attacks were. Yeah. Probably about 20 minutes into the being there. So many people there that the majority of that place was sold out to Chaldeans. Mm -hmm. I got up. I left. I asked um, Jason Garmo at that time if he can drop me back off at Neil's house because that was one of the only people that could soothe me. So I ended up uh, going back over there, stuck it out with him, chilled, and, and uh, I rode the week out being there and living with Marianne and Marianne lived in Detroit at the time because my brother-in-law worked for the mayor so if you worked for the city you had to live in the city so it was like toggling and I didn't even go back to my own mom's house you know had just it was too much going on and I didn't want to reminisce at this point in time so we rode the week out between Marianne's and Neil's so now the following week end of November on to December I was on my way to Pagetel to go see everybody over there I was called to come over there and it was uh Wednesday, and I got the phone call on the way there. It was my brother-in-law, Mike. Uh, he said, um, uh, turn of events, um, she's going for the worse. We're going to have to get you there tonight to go see her. I'll take you so it doesn't look obvious with the other siblings. I said, okay, sure. So I put the clothes on. I stuffed my sleeve with a newspaper all the way to my pocket. And figured, hey, she, you know, she's not gonna see, and in her state right now, I don't even think it can even phase her. Whatever she's gonna see. Right. I get there, man. She's so goddamn sedated from that radiation. Her color of her skin is different. Her, her, her. That personality that everybody knew about her was drained out. It was gone. First thing she said to me, and the last thing she ever said to me was, "Ha, Bobby." And then she didn't say nothing else after that. She just stayed there, laid there, eyes rolling. I just, I had, I had to leave. Uh, it was, it was destroying me more inside. Uh, I didn't even have time to recover from my situation because I was so in tuned into hers. So Thursday we're at the hospital now. All of us are there because they're saying now it's the point of getting her to the hospice and get her home. And so aunts, uncles, friends, family, everybody's over there. And I'm in there with it the whole time. And I'm on pain meds. So you're blocked from certain emotions. Like mm -hmm. I'm just more into like jitters and just like feeling damped, you know, and just really mad at God at this time because everything. And I asked if I lost my arm to him, is it fair you keep her? And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't There's no trade-off. There's no, I lose this, you gain that. Mm -hmm. So uh, we left her Thursday night. We're ready for tomorrow to get her for hospice. It was probably 3 o'clock in the morning now, and I'm staying at Marianne's house in Detroit. I used to stay up every single night from when I got to the car accident until I was at her house. I stayed up every night looking out that window. I stayed up to the point where I got to see the General Motors building close down. Remember when they moved from there to the Renaissance? Yeah. They used to have that red General Motors sign on there. 
I watched it till they turned that last sign off, mm -hmm. and I couldn't sleep. So I said, you know what? I bet you Omar's awake right now. Mm -hmm. Probably 3, 3.30 in the morning. I picked up the phone, turned the lights on. I sat there with him, and I said, how you doing, bud? He said, good. We talked for a couple of minutes, and then he said, hold on, I got another line. Three in, three in the morning. I said, what the? Three in the morning, I got another line. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there, just pacing, you know. He comes back, he said, hey. That was Angelo. He just called and said that um, he's like, Sam took off right now. Um, he said he, he's on the way to the hospital right now, but they don't know why. He just took off. And for some reason, I had a bad feeling why. So as I'm talking to him, telling him, you think we should get over there? As in, I, we can't come pick you up in the head because you're on, it's on 13 Woodward. You're all the way in Farmington. He said, just do what you got to do. So my sister sees my light on in the room. She wakes up and walks over to me and says, what's wrong? And I said, I think we got to get to the hospital. She said, why? I said, because Sam's on his way there right now. We need to just get over there and do what we got to do. Mm -hmm. We get in the car. I remember she had the mom's minivan at this time, and she's flying down Woodward from her house in Detroit. And... Uh, I, I let her walk in first. And when when she screamed, I knew the situation. And I knew my mom was gone. So I walked in there at about 3.30 a.m., 4 o'clock, she was already gone. We didn't get a chance to get her to come to the hospice for the, for the home. So we stayed there with her for a couple hours. And um, we got everything arranged. Took off. And uh, started the next day like it was a dream, like, like nothing was real. So, uh, you know, it was a little different for us. We didn't have the opportunities back then to be able to blast off when something happened. There was no social media to tell you and say, look, she passed at this, and this is where funeral arrangements are. Anybody and everybody who knew, knew by word of mouth right. at that time. And back then, back, back then, Jerry Yono had it where you do like your two-day funeral services. You know, it's changed now, thank God. Um, I love my mom for this. All the pain and struggles she went through, she never wanted sympathy. She never wanted that. And um, she said specifically, I don't want, if I ever pass, I don't want any of those women singing stuff at my funeral. Yeah. We kicked them out. That's what you want. <laughs> you know, you don't need me to. You don't. You don't need them to make me cry. Right. I already have so much pain deep inside right now from what just happened to me. So we went through a couple of days of this, and then finally, you know, I stayed with Marianne. This is now um, her funeral, and and a lot of people showed up. A lot of people know her. A lot of people still remember to this day. She's known for her dirty jokes. Mm -hmm. She was known to always give and not much receive. So I'm coping with this. I didn't even care to talk prosthetic. I didn't even care to talk about what's going on with my arm or nothing like that. I do give credit um, major to uh, two people. Um, Neil was there for me to guide me through things that I didn't take, need to take and should take. But while this happened and after this happened, you guys, I was pounding so much pain pills. It's just, it, it was disgusting. I was going from Percocets, Vicodins, Tylenol 3s, 4s, morphine, whatever they can give Jesus. to try to get me to switch. Just my weight had gone down to nothing. It ruined my stomach. I've got bad acid reflux from it because I was taking it dry on, on, on dry, empty stomach. So I'm going through this and dealing with this. And, and I was like, man, 
Dr. Situ was the other person I got to give a lot of credit to. Dr. Mil Situ, he, he's, he, he helped me. I didn't have a physician at the time. I wasn't going back to Chicago to go deal with the doctors that operated on me. So I had cert I had stitches still in that needed to come out. I had x-rays that needed to be, you know, checked in You guys, I went from making great money to just being flat broke. <laughs> yeah. I had nothing. And all my stuff is half in St. Louis and here, and I'm scrambling around. You know, you have Rita Elias giving me shoes from her brother to wear for the funeral. I've got, you know, Larry giving me jackets and my friends all stuck by my side. I had no clothes. When this happened and we had our truck there, we had to have our stuff put into storage. Well, Helen went and took care of that, so we couldn't get nothing in time. She said, well, she went to go pick up the stuff on Tuesday that the cabin was so full of blood it was still filled oh, in it when man. she got there. So anyway, we, we I went through this, and I'm scrambling. I'm no money in hand, and, you know, I'm star stuff. Our accounts are still going on in St. Louis, and they're calling and going, you know, we're sorry what happened. We understand. And now I'm having Paige tell take them on directly because I'm not there. Pete's here with me. Pete's in a brace, a Miami brace. He was like this for two months. Um, thank God he didn't get to the halo. I think that would have crushed me more if he did. But he could not move left. He could not move right. He has fear of paralysis still to this day. And that means if he gets hit hard enough, he actually could become paralyzed. Um, so, anyway, we're here. We're recovering. I'm at Marianne's. We're working through it. Younger siblings, you know, they're 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 burned out from from the whole thing and from my situation. Then three weeks later, they got to deal with this situation. Finally, about a month and a half later, first and foremost, I um, stood in front of the mirror and um, did it take some adjusting? Yeah, Just go try to clap. Mm -hmm. It's the first thing I had to realize. Go try to clap for somebody that you're proud of can't do it so things started sinking in that I can and can't do sure well what made it worse and this is to all the viewers so they know pain meds don't make pain better mm. they mask it they mask your situation they stop you from thinking the way you need to think mm -hmm. because all it's doing is putting you to sleep it's not really taking care of the, the situation it's not a healing property so I looked in the mirror and there's my pills here in the bathroom I was pale as Casper, smelling like shit, looking like hell. Not that I didn't shower or anything, but the toxins that release when you take these medication are unbelievably, like, nasty. Yeah. And I walked downstairs and I said to my sister, I said, listen, if I continue taking those, I probably won't be here much longer. Oh, so I said to her, look, I know you hate to hear this, and I wasn't doing this, but... I'm going to have to resort. I'm going to turn to cannabis right now. I'm not saying that one addiction is better than the other. I don't want anybody ever taking that into consideration mm -hmm. that you can do one is supposed to surpass and say it's better than the other. Sure. The point is I became dependent on something to help me with another. But to understand that I go through pain every single day of my life. There hasn't been one day in 20 years that I've not walked and ached out of that house. Yeah. But I wasn't choosing those pills anymore. And I made that a point to her. I decided at that point, move back to St. Louis, spend a couple years there, still do what I gotta do. It wasn't a good idea. I needed help. That was a big issue. I masked it. First mask came with the pills. Then the second mask was, I'm a man. I could do this on my own. Right. You know? Pride. Pride. So I left. I did this a couple years. By the third year, I moved back over here. I wasn't 
I was falling out with some of my friends who were there for me. I was talking shit to people that I shouldn't have and this and that. And I realized I wasn't mentally right. There was something still there. Something was wrong. So I, I decided the first approach is get close back to family again. You got to get there first and start because that's your support team. Yeah. I went there. I got back close with the fam. And then um, before, like, before I got my next job after I moved back here, I was flat broke off my ass. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a pot to piss in. I had $10 in my pocket that I stretched out for three weeks to a month. Nobody knew that I didn't have anything to eat, <laughs> nothing in my pocket at all. Wow. I masked it again. I'd get to Marianne's house somehow and eat at her house without her knowing why I was eating there. Wow. Whether I liked the food or not, I still ate it. I exhausted everything out of my freezer that was frozen. I would figure ways for my friend Larry to pick me up in the morning to use his car, because I had no car, take him to work and get my ass back over to him later to pick him up so I can get around. And finally I hit rock bottom and just out of nowhere I got a phone call and my friend said, do you want to work? And I said, yeah, what do you got? And I was into telecommunications, he says, I got a store in East Point. And I said, shit, I don't even have a car. How the hell am I going <laughs> to do this? You know what I'm saying? And he said, you know, we'll figure ways to get you there. He sounded like my mentality. Yeah. We'll figure a way. That's all yeah. it always was. No planning. Right. So he ended up um, getting me there at times, but I had to figure my way from 12 in Middle Belt to there and back from the east side. Seven months straight without a car. There was points that my friends from the east side would pick me up, get me to their houses, so for my friends from the west side would come pick me back up from there. I wouldn't get home sometimes till 12, 12.30 at night yeah, from working tough. a full day. So all this trauma from... The, from the mother to the accident to dealing with Pete to thinking about this person, thinking about that person, yeah. the pain, the pills, that's got you in a state of mind of what, like, the, like bitterness, bitterness, and helpless. Okay, and so that that created a PTSD. 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 I still have it to this day. Okay. But now it's not PTSD. I'm going through post-traumatic syndrome growth. It's not a disease. Anybody who goes through anything traumatic in life will face. It doesn't have to be a soldier coming in from war. Mm -hmm. It can be anybody who has experienced any type of shock in their life. The shock took on. I still didn't accept it for what it was worth. I still took the rug and covered it under. I ended up working at this guy's place. I ended up finding another job with my friend Taymor. He brought me on to Wireless Toys at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm working with him, still carless, driving back and forth with him. He's getting me to work. Finally, he's like, I got to get you a car. And I'm still in my mind going on cool as can be, man. I'm at Blue Martini partying away. I'm mm. still dancing. and par It still didn't hit me the way it should have because right. I didn't have time. This happens to me November 15th. We're worrying about our mom, man. Yeah. December 3rd, you're putting her down. And you're thinking, shit, she's gone and I'm still here, man. Let me just move on and just go with it. Like, okay, mm. it just happened. You lost arm. Sometimes, Anthony, we make it look so easy that by perception it is easy yeah it's not man there's days that i go through hell there's days that i have dark days i've broken a lot of those spells you know did what you ask for help i'm oh, sorry, sorry. You That's, go ahead, chris no i was gonna ask like so so what are what are your some of your daily struggles that you were dealing with all that well let's just say after all that time i did well got money in back in and i didn't i didn't have issues in my head so I'm back to making eight to ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month. You're, you're you're back, hey man. 
Excuse my language, but fuck the world. I'm having fun now. You know what I'm saying? My yeah. bank account's good again. I, I, bills are being taken care of. What the hell do I care? I'm living like I lived before. Like it was. So like, you're just. You're, I'm you're just coasting. Kind of on that same path. I'm masking it and coasting the whole time. The masking is the thing. Yeah. So masking, and you did not reach out for anyone. Not to at this time, still. That time came. Was 2013. It was 12:30 at night. Things were better. I was dating. I was still accepted one arm or not. I was dating, and I just. It, it, it was the phone call I didn't want to hear. There was a woman in our life, Mona Sawa, all right, Mona. She took care of um, all of us, like all the cousins, her like her nieces, nephews, first cousins, whoever it was. Yeah. She was that same thing. That was our, ha- our safe haven. You had a problem, you go to Mona. You wanted to eat, you go to Mona. Hmm. Holidays, you're there. Well, the phone call came 1230 from Ron Kitu, who's gone through hell himself and back. And he's a doctor. He called, first call came in, I was like, shit, he's butt dialing. I didn't answer it, I disregarded it. Five minutes later, that phone call came in, I said, he's not butt dialing. I picked yeah. it up and I said, hey, Ron. He said, JJ, something, something bad has happened with Mona. You, you got to get everybody. Go get Marianne, go call whoever. You got to get the cousins. Get over here ASAP. I'm like, shit, what could it be? You know what I'm saying? So I call my sister, I call up, she's not picking up. I call my niece, I said, go get mom up right now. You got to get up right away. Um, I got my sister up first because she's very close with Tammy, which is Mona's daughter, but she was very close with um, Mona overall. She was her second mom. They did everything. Red Wings games, shopped, gossip, did all the shit. So when I called her and said to her, look, you, 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 I got to come pick you up. Something happened. Ron just called me. I had to call my cousin Jenny. I had to call my aunt Dora. I called whoever I had to call. Got everybody ready. Got in the car. My mind's warped right now. All I'm thinking is, shit, 99, 99, 99. The year of 99. So she, she had a brain aneurysm, and it hit her completely hard. We got to the hospital about 1 o'clock in the morning. We slept there, all of us, that night. I had to go pick up her son, Leif, and Mikey and them, because they were living in KC, and we went back there, and it was hell, you guys. Here's the ironic part. Happened Sunday, took her till Friday and she passed. It happened to me Sunday night and took until Friday for my mom. I'm sorry, it took on, it took me on that Friday to watch my mom to pass too. Those days is just when they correlate, it just makes you think. And we couldn't save her. There was no hope. So everything that happened to me in '99, back to your question, there was no help because yeah. I didn't accept it. It smacked me so hard for losing her that by the time that her funeral came and weeks after the relapse came on hard I had a great girlfriend at that time I lost her I didn't care about her anymore mm-hmm. my business declined heavy I didn't go to the store much I didn't care about it at all everything that I was doing I didn't yeah, care you figure about what's the point anymore that's what I was looking at like what what is there to live for right now when these Trials and tribulations keep coming at you. So you fell into a really deep state of depression. Deep state of depression. That my sister doesn't know this, and nobody knows this, but my girlfriend at that time called my sister to tell her that somebody needs a therapist, a friend of hers, but she doesn't know where to go Mm -hmm. and where to start. Mm -hmm. 
because mm-hmm. I couldn't ask my sister directly because she would have been overly concerned like a mother. Mm-hmm. I didn't want that. I wanted a wow. reality check. She got me the therapist. By about third session in, I did the same thing again. I'm prideful. I'm a man. I'm going to break this spell. I don't need her to give me pills. And I asked her specifically, don't give me no Xanax. Don't give me, I don't want none of that stuff. I'm going to fight through it, whatever. Left out of there. Still dealt with it like shit. Pretended it again. Masked it up. As long as I had Lake, Anthony, Tammy, Marianne, and my brother, like a family around, to me, I was good mm-hmm. in my head. I still kept it quiet. They didn't know. And then um, finally, it was a year later, and um, I lost a lot. Financial situations started coming about. I got hit pretty hard. I had I had a deal that went bunk. I lost a quarter million dollars on it. Yeah. I was right back in square one. Mm-hmm. So I turned to someone I shouldn't turn to, but it was somewhat what saved me in its own way. He doesn't know this. I don't give him credit enough, but my brother Omar. Mm. <laughs> the guy's blind. He deals with it every single day of his life. Mm-hmm. And... I'm here with a loss of an arm venting to a guy while I can still drive a car and I can still hold a job and I can still date a girl. And and I came to him with it all. And he explained to me, man, he's like, in the end, it's all about your faith, man. It's how how you can take it on and how you you can believe in things that they're going to be. Because in the end, you got to remember one thing. We're all going to land in that same place. Mm-hmm. Just do what you got to do to be making it right out here to get there. Right. He goes, listen, mom's loss, it's been a tough loss. So I think about it every day. She comes into my dreams all the time. He goes, I go through it. That's the sign of help that helped me to say, how much could I really cry about my life? And that was the biggest thing about today was I'm telling the story Never for anybody to feel that my story is bigger than Chris, Anthony's, Mark's, or anybody here in this world. It's just, it's a story. Sure. And pe- people struggle at different levels. So, I mean, for our viewers, like, you know, we want them to understand that you're coming here to share your situation so that they understand that it, it is okay to ask, even though you didn't really ask yeah. for help. Yep. They should ask for help. Yes. They should ask My for help. My mistake should not why be theirs. should Why should it have gone from from 99 till 13, now? 14 like, years yeah, later. It's too to much this. time, man. Like, right. you should have. You, you, we want everybody out there to understand that. Help is okay. Yeah, help is okay. It's okay. It's and not. It's, a, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay sure. to be human. We're all human. Yeah, I hurt myself. To be ashamed of. Yeah. I hurt myself. You I hurt yourself. Them. You hurt your family too. Completely. You know, you. Completely. You, you had. You, it's it's not being selfish to ask for help. It's 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 being selfish not to ask not for to help. ask for help. And the biggest thing that I want most of our viewers to understand is we're facing a huge crisis right now in this country. It's an mm-hmm. epidemic. Yes. Okay. We're losing. We're losing you, younger generation, to what pills? Younger and older. Younger like and older. Yeah, I'm saying we're losing to these pills. Yeah. I go through this struggle every single day. And again, I'm not saying that because I chose cannabis at some point over that, that that made it right. But when was the last time somebody said they died from this versus dying from that? And again, I'm not, 
I'm not soliciting. Never will I solicit. You ask any of my family members. I've never, ever, ever wished upon any of them to do anything like this. But I do say this. For all of you that have contacted me through DM, some of you have asked me for pain pills thinking that I may have them. I have not had them. I deal with this struggle daily. And I will continue dealing with this struggle daily in pain. But the one thing that you can get help with that does not require pills is mental health. We're facing a lot of problems with that right now. The, the parents aren't understanding how yeah, to deal the, with the it. Drug is, the drug is just to mask it, like you said. There's an underlying issue. Yes. So whatever that issue is, whatever, whatever struggles or whatever impact you've had on whatever impacted your life, there's a struggle there. There's an underlying issue there. F fix that. Don't just mask it with drugs and pills. No. And that's not the answer. No. Drinking either. Yeah. Let's be real. That's a drug. Some people, just because they don't take pills, they still come home yeah. on that rough day. They're hurting financially. They're hurting situations. They may not be ready to pay the next kids, the kids' next mm -hmm. tuition. They'll turn to alcohol. It's right. anything. Help. Well, alcohol pays tuition. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Right? Um, Chris, no, so you yeah. had some questions for uh, Junior, right? Um, yeah, I was going to touch on something you said, too. I think with I think another issue is um, if someone's facing that, they need to come to terms with it yes. and, and face reality and, and, and not be in denial because there's so many being of us that are with what? being faced with, with, with the issues that they're struggling with sure. or with, with uh, masking it by meds. Mm -hmm. um, or you know, masking with medication, I think it's there's so many people that are willing to help, and, I, and I've experienced this with, with wanting to help people, but you can't you can't help them unless they're willing to help accept. themselves. Yeah, accept that, accept the accept fact that they that they that they have an issue that they're dealing with with, with struggles, um, and and come to terms. If with they're it. dependent upon opioids or drugs, any kind of drug, the only way back is to hit rock bottom. Sure. So yeah. understand that you're going to hit rock bottom no matter what, no matter no, regardless of whatever. Or you get help and then you avoid the rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And your parents have to be part of the solution. And part of the solution yes. is being willing to lose a son or a daughter to regain them at a later time. Yes. But if you're enabling them, then you are part of the problem part of the problem you may not know it no and it's not easy but you are being part of the problem if you're not part of the solution and i want to say something about that huge in our community I, i'm not shameful for what's happened to me there's i don't have shame in what's going on so well, well obviously you there was shame along the road like right now you come out you've been brave you've courageous to come out and tell your story but there was shame. There had to have been it shame. It was pain more than shame. Deep well, down, you underlying. Did not, you, you didn't get help. You didn't ask for help. There's that's that's a that's shame. Yeah, you and can say shame, shame and pride. Pride can kill you. Oh yeah. Pride can kill you. Oh, yeah. That's the big issue that we have in our community. It'll cost you time. Yeah, it'll cost well, you time. It'll cost you the ability to heal. It'll cost you a lot. So that's the thing is that I want our community to understand is, would you rather be ashamed and prideful? and lose that son or daughter, or would you rather be prideful, I'm sorry, would you rather open your pride up 
to letting us help your son and your child because yeah. now you get to see them 20 years from now. Absolutely. Not everybody gets a chance like I did. Not everybody's going to sit there and wean themselves off of yeah. it that quick to be able to make that you have to You have to be willing to be vulnerable. Yep. You have to be willing to expose yourself. You have to be willing to yep. open up and, and tell your truth. Yep. yep, I agree. I agree. And the biggest part about everything is um, our community. Everybody's got somebody. Yeah, it's 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 a, yeah. Everyone knows somebody. Everybody got somebody. It's it's a it's a our community is a blessing and a curse. The yes. blessing part of it is that we know everybody and everybody knows us and everybody loves us and everybody cares for us. And then the curse is that we know everybody and we so da, 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 you don't want to talk. And about then you don't want to talk about right, things, right? right. So and that's it, it's it's a double edged sword. But yeah, you know, I don't I don't know a better community that I'd, that I'd want to be a part of. I yeah, agree. I agree. I agree. I have a question. Uh, yeah. Maybe some of the some of the listeners would want to know. Um, you, know you, you you struggle with certain things on a day to day because obviously you're missing an arm. Sure. Why why did you never get a, a prosthetic? Good question. Um, first major reason was I didn't even have time to think about one because within that three week span you're so overwhelmed. Like he's saying, with the gift of the community, you have such an outpour. It wasn't social media. It was people calling you and coming to see you. Right. Yeah. So you have that at first, which makes you lose sight of what you really got to do because you feel like you're on top of the world in a way because mm-hmm. everybody's out there for you, rooting you on. Yeah, you got it. You got a fan club at that yes. point in time. So you don't care and you don't think about it. And I went to St. Louis for a couple of years, so I started adjusting with it. When I came back in third year in, I um, actually did go see a couple um, doctors and stuff and and the guys that make the prosthetics and all. Both said the same exact thing to me. It's not like the leg. It's not like the foot. You don't have to have balance. You just need to be having the ability to still maneuver things with your feet, your legs, your hand. Everything is in motion. 75% of people give up a prosthetic. Prosthesis these days has increased on what it can do. With the technology. Technology advances. Yeah. Well, because we had a lot of vets that came back from the war recently, you know. Sure. That, that were that but. It's still not the same. It's more for cosmetics. How am I going to look in a suit? How do I look in short sleeve shirts? You know, that's what it is. The full functionality, it's not as easy. I've lost too much of a limb to get as much as what some would. Um, and then again, it's it was rehab and relearning experience over, and you got to deal with batteries and this and go. And I said, you know what? Again, well, technology again. Technology is, is advanced since yep. probably the last time you've looked into it. Maybe yep. look into it again, and yeah. maybe it's something. Would that, you consider? Yep. Yeah, there's a possibility it would, you know, so I don't have to have a sous chef. <laughs> it's just so I can cook and do things, you know? Yeah. Plus, he wants to be the arm wrestling champion of the yes. world again. Yes. Right. Sometimes I want to slap people with my left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, it's getting Joking. Bored. Yeah. It's getting boring. It's getting boring. I remember we went to a restaurant, you and I, and, <clears throat> and he asked me to cut his burger, and I started cutting his burger, yeah. and the waitress comes along, yeah. and she goes, oh, that's, that's so, so cute. cute. She mm-hmm. had no clue and why he no was doing clue. it. Uh, and then he's like, he did one of these. Or he joked like, with her, messed with her, and then she she turned bright red. <laughs> you, you hit him. She, yeah, she, why did she didn't know what to shoe say. Shoe <laughs> she did not know what to say. I wasn't home at the time. <laughs> she just didn't know. It's funny you say that because after owning like a cell phone store, I used to work with a couple of young guys. Um, they used to always get a kick out of it. I used to work with uh, Nick Hermes and, uh, and John Soroki, and it was such a good squad. Like We had the best time, but... The story kind of after a couple of years of owning it was like, okay, it's getting old. You fell asleep driving a car. Yeah. 
<laughs> so then when they put me on the front and they would be in the back writing on the paper for the customer, the customer would engage, Jay, what happened to your arm? Yeah. And mind you, they'd already bought a couple phones years before. Uh-huh. And I'm like, man, I was cutting through the D. Yeah. They were trying to carjack me. <laughs> they saw the watch. So they blew my whole arm off and took the watch with it. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. What are you going to say, you know? But again, to what you're saying, my brother gave me the curse to be able to laugh it off and, yeah. and, and chug through it. That's and, what makes you you. You, 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 even you, off. you have such a great personality. You're uplifting. You bring Thank energy you. To, to a lot of people. Thank you, you. you. It's not you're easy. The, you're the bright light in the room. I know. That's, that's what, what I, I mean. People to know. That's, why, not that's why I think it's very, very important. I think easy. it's great that you came out and shared your story with everyone Thank because you. there's a lot of people struggling with that yep. and, and they're wearing a mask. Yes. You know, yes. and, and, and it's wearing them down. Sure, the mask yeah. that they have on and is wearing them come down. Out and, and that's when they shed start some light on the subject. Yep, yep. Just, you, I was gonna say, I just wish anybody listening on this message. I don't listen. Your your secrets are kept with me till the grave. I've helped many of you without even saying a word on this. Reach out, man. DM me. Tell me how you did it. Right. You know, when I had a lot of people, I did a little overdose um, scenario multiple days across my. Um, Instagram, this yeah. was about a year ago. Mm-hmm. The course of what it takes to get to there, what happens when you go through that, then the depression and all that. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, I wrote those stories based upon three women that were in our community that fought and beat that struggle. And also the other person who I didn't get it from him, but I won't say, and well, I hope to get him on one day. He's my boy, but he's done it too. He's gone through that. And today he's standing strong. And today he's married. And he's got a kid and he's got another kid on the way. So it's like, you guys, what, what? Is bad today, is better tomorrow. You know, and that's the biggest thing is that it ends yesterday and starts yeah. over today. Yeah. So I wish people would reach out to me. Hit me on that DM. Hit me, call me. My number is always out there. People can always reach out to me and just get at me. Because I'll tell you what, I'm still not over the fact. I'm still 20 years into it. It still tainted me. Today's 20 years for my mother. It still brings up scars, but at the end of the day, I'm fighting through it, you know, so through did, faith. Did you get... Did you get advice or or referrals to where you can go? Like, where would somebody I did. go? Like, I did. Oh, can, so, can we share that with somebody? So, so back then at that time, we didn't have things like the Chaldean Foundation these right. days. We didn't have Cal. So what do you know about today, like to, where yep. people can go to get yep. resources yep. today? Ste- resources. Stephanie yeah, Nofar is one. Yeah. Um, we we interviewed her. Yeah. Um, she, she's um, she's good herself. Um, if there's addiction, um, Ilham Qajbu, she actually uh, works at a center. Mm-hmm. Um, she can help those in need as well too for that. Um, the Chaldean Foundation, yeah. you know Martin, his, Martin and his team—they have sources of people all around that can give us that ability to um, right. to get into it. But number one thing I really think is you got to see a therapist. You need that neutral person. Mm-hmm. You can't have me talking to Anthony or talking to you all the time because I'm going to get the more love. Not right, you right. know you need you need that tough understanding to say listen, mm-hmm. this is this and this is this, black and white. There's no in between. Right. So. Do you want to close out the uh, session with a question? Uh, Yeah, if you you were in my shoes, what would you ask yourself that that I didn't ask you? Probably, why have you still not received the help that you need today? Because I'm still not 100%. So what's the damn answer, Junior? Why haven't you? Sorry, sorry. (laughs) No, no, go ahead. It's fine. why Why haven't you gotten the help? What's the problem? It's um. You want to practice what you preach or what? My stubborn pride. Now it's yeah. intervention time. Yep. No, my stubborn pride, man. Okay. I hate it. it. It it's it's um, it doesn't let me get over the. Yeah, but you I know need it. To. But I you know already it. know this. Yes. So. So I'll tell you this. Put the pride aside. And go get some help. 
and, and, and be a Lions fan. No pride. No pride. Just walk in. Yeah, was... <laughs> which which is which is what I'm. I've been aggressively at church more often mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. Churches. So churches therapy. I was gonna tell you. Absolutely. And and we used to go together yeah. years and years ago when he was yeah. living close. We were we were going we together. We were both struggling at that time. Yep. We were going yep. through our hard times. Yes, and we that's, were. That's what brought me back. Yes. And I was gonna tell you, I haven't gone to an actual therapist, which I probably should. Okay. Um, and I and I can reach out to the ones that I know. Church does it for me, and I'll tell you mm-hmm. what it does for me. During the Our Father, and we do the peace with everybody, is my time when I cry. Yeah. I do it without anybody noticing. I let it out at church on Sundays. And probably three times out of the month, I go visit my mom after church, and I therapy by speaking to the cemetery. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'll tell you what, that only goes so long, you still need an answer back. Sure. You still need an answer back. So that's it. Why have I not gotten help? Well, Stop. why don't you make a promise today to me and your good friend Chris here that you will seek help. That I will. And you will put your pride aside and, and just go see a therapist. Fair what enough. Could it, what could it hurt? It's not going to. No. It's not going to. Fair enough, and that's what I will be doing. Right, and we want all our viewers to do the same. If you, yes. If you have any issues, if you have any thing that you just want to get off your chest. you don't. It doesn't even need to have to get to that. Just get out there and go find some help and go to church. Yeah. Yeah, especially in our in our Christian faith, right? Yeah. So. Why don't you close us out with some something, Chris? Since you're our special guest host, first one ever, uh. best one ever. <laughs> yes. Our first guest ever. I want to thank you guys both first of all for at least giving me this chance to do it. Thanks. Man. And I thank you for the platform with keeping up with the Chaldeans. This is to... your platform, brother. You ain't got to thank anybody. Yeah. No. Thank. Thank you for. No, this would be here if it wasn't for you. For me. For him. <laughs> him? Oh yeah. I wouldn't be here for He's the one started it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, no, I just uh, just want to thank thank you for uh, you know having me come on here and as a guest and interview you. It means a lot to me because I know how how close we are. Um, you know, going back to just you you you're, you 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 fill the room with light. Nobody thank would you. ever expect it coming from you. Thank you. In a million years. Everyone, honestly, no I one think, would expect. I, no one, no one would expect the struggles that he's dealing with. Correct. Being the person that that, right. that Junior is. Thank you. Because yeah. of because everyone, like I said in the beginning of the show, everyone knows knows JB as as the the, the light of the party. You know the energy in the room. Is just, you 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 bring so much. Even my uh, you bring so much love. joy. <laughs> you you do. You bring so much joy. You know, from anyone that I talk to. Anyone that any any anytime I bring up your name, oh, I love that guy. He's the yeah. best guy. He's so yeah. much fun. He's so funny. I'm sure I got and a few boors in the crowd, but what do you mean? You're always gonna have Listen, that. But they're but, the ones. Those are the guys that never got the gum. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't get the they gum. They didn't get the gum. So uh, <laughs> get the gum. Yeah, I just want to close with I, I commend you for that. Thank you. So awesome. for for the listeners, you know, you don't think that someone's struggling or dealing with with uh, mental health issues. Uh, deep inside because they, they mask it sure. with a personality like yourself and going through all the struggles that you've gone through. Yeah. But um, but it's real. Everyone's got their struggles. Yeah, absolutely. They do. Everyone yes, they does. Do. That's why I said my story's it's not bigger than anybody else's. So, um, <laughs> you know, seek help. <laughs> if you have any questions, question that. Yeah. You know, reach out to Junior. Yeah. Yep. E- even myself, um, if I can help in any way, I'm happy to. That's what we're here for. Cool. Yeah, Anthony. So. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I'll be there, too. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you, both. Thank you very much for watching. Thanks, you guys, for listening. Bye-bye.